day so far. <laughs> Hopefully it gets better because you're here. So if you want to stand, let's get, just get started with some worship.
Well, you can have a seat, but just go ahead and say good morning to someone around you first. Well, uh, hey, welcome to Regen. My name is Kyle. Uh, Zach is not here this morning because it's a big day in the Byler house. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Zach's gym, uh, if you don't know, Zach is a uh, strength and conditioning coach, owns his own business. Like four of us, five, six of us are clients of his. And uh, thank you. Yeah. I don't know if it's because I preached hard last time, but like, whoo, you know, I'm swampy, right? Um, so... Zach's business moved and they're having a grand opening this afternoon from two to five. And uh, even if you're not a client of his, Zach's part of our family and we just want to kind of support and be excited for him. So uh, his business is on North Road next to that cake boutique and the Hidden Cafe. So if you have nothing going on this afternoon, they're going to have food and a whole bunch of stuff from two to five. So that's where a number of us will be later in the afternoon. And that's where Zach and Jen are right now, kind of like frantically running around getting that all together. So I said to Zach said to me earlier this week, yeah, we'll totally be there to do announcements. And I thought, well, that sounds like hopeless optimism if I've ever heard it. But all right, clearly he had not cleared that with Jenna either. You know what I mean? So, uh, but we're excited for them and want to be praying for them. But hey, welcome to Regen. At Regen, our mission is to interrupt people's lives with the love and grace of Jesus. And for us, that kind of looks like we really love the people that are here in this room. We used to say the most important person in the room is the person that's not here yet, which kind of makes you feel like, well, I did all this work to get here and now I'm just chopped liver, right? So here's the deal. We love that you're in this room, but we also know that there are people outside of this room that God's heart is loving and pursuing right now, and we want to join him in that. And so we do everything that we can do, not only to be equipped in this time, but then also to be sent to make disciples and encourage people and mobilize them. And so uh, thanks for being here this morning, for giving us a little bit of your Sunday couple of things. We survived Vacation Bible School at Grace Campus. We're one church in two locations, so we shared a Vacation Bible School Sunday to Thursday of last week, and there's a little insert in here with all of the people that kind of helped even with the block party that kicked that off the day before VBS started. So thanks for doing that. Um, if you're here this morning, one of the big passions that we have is generosity. So what you could do is just grab your smartphone, open up the Facebook app, and check in on Facebook. This month, our check-ins have changed. Last month, we gave to Game Changers. This month, we're giving to the Basement Outreach Ministries, which is a ministry in the city center of Warren that really is connecting the heart of Jesus to people that would never, ever, ever step foot inside a church that are in the midst of addiction, in the midst of deep, deep poverty. <clears throat> We were actually supposed to serve there for our July 1 thing, and uh, they needed to rearrange their schedule. So we've kind of flipped up our July 1 thing to a community prayer walk after church um, the last Sunday this month, which we'll give you info about that. There's a mission trip to Nehemiah Mission, which is in Cleveland, coming up very shortly. Um, and Lindsay and I will have more information for you about that in the next couple of weeks. But if you want to talk to Lindsay about that, you can. Um, and then last but not least, we are going to the Scrappers game uh, I actually just found out that this campus, Otterbein's morning service, had plans to go at the same time. So Otterbein's service here, our service, and friends from the Grace Campus, we're all going to go to the Scrappers for Faith Night on the last Friday of this month. Um, that's a fireworks night at the Scrappers, and there's kind of three ticket prices. $9 just gets you in, 15 gets you in with like a meal voucher, and 20 gets you in plus the buffet. So however you want to choose that, if you go onto the giving page online, you can 
give to us and then we will buy your ticket. Does that make sense? Because we need to buy them all in one fell swoop. So we'll be able to get your ticket to you and have it all that. But we're just excited to kind of be together as really three worshiping kind of families at, that really are one family in the eyes of God. Um, and it's a fireworks night and the tenants love fireworks, especially my wife. So we have to go is what I'm saying. Um, uh, even though baseball makes me want to drop an anchor on my toe. So please, someone come and entertain me, you know? Um, so, hey, uh, one of the other ways that we join with God as a community is in generosity and giving. And so in a second, I'll uh, hand you these buckets and you can pass them kind of back in each row. You know, a verse that's really stuck with me ever since we kind of taught through generosity last fall is this verse out of Second Corinthians where Paul says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus who, though he was rich, for your sakes became poor, that by his poverty he might make you rich. We join in it with a Jesus and with a God whose heart at his very core is to be good and generous to us. And really everything that you give goes to fueling the mission so that we can interrupt more people's lives with love and grace in Jesus. So would you pray with me while we enter into this? God, we want to worship you with what you've given us today. We want to join you in laying down what is precious for us for the sake of others. And so, uh, God, would you stir in us a heart that aligns with you and a heart of generosity? Jesus, you said where our treasure is, there our heart would be also. And so may we prove in every area of our lives that you have our heart. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Yes, Lord, we worship you. God, we sing these words that say, I want nothing but to know you. And some of us here, um, we sing that and we wonder if it's true. We wonder if you really are our one thing. So Jesus, we just take a second. everything that you are. Lord, and just come to the realization that you really are the only thing that we need. You're the only thing that matters. In the end, we could have you and nothing else and we would still have everything. You can have a seat. Well, hey, thanks again for being here this morning. I'm super excited to kind of have this message. This message is a standalone that I want to use. I want to use to kind of bridge from our series on the Holy Spirit into our series on prayer. So starting next week, we're kicking off a series for about seven weeks called Talking with God. Uh, that's going to be very intentional and very practical. That every, every sermon of that series will be tied to a particular practice of prayer. Every week you'll have homework because you'll get to uh, work on that homework and practice that style of prayer that week. Um, and the goal is by the end of that seven weeks, you will have a couple of prayer practices in your pocket that help you know how to talk with God. And so... Uh, I'm excited about that. My spiritual director, Dan Henry, is going to come up and teach on that. Uh, it's going to be a good series that I'm just really excited about. But I think what I was thinking about when I was planning for the Sunday is I realized that I forgot to preach my favorite text out of John's gospel. My favorite passage of scripture is Gospel of John chapter 15. And we preached through John for six months and we very anticlimactically ended uh, early in June. And then I was thinking about the Sunday and I realized I hadn't gotten to preach John 15, one through eight. So we're gonna preach John 15, one through eight this morning, which I think will connect well, like I said, to our Holy Spirit series, into, into our series on prayer. And, and in this text, Jesus is, is actually talking about the Holy Spirit and we'll see that. In this text, Jesus is also changing the name of the game for the people of God. He's trying to help us not just know about God, he's actually trying to help us know God. In fact, we'll talk about this in a minute too, he's not really trying to help us know God, he's trying to help us know himself. Jesus wants us to know him through this text. So let's pray and we'll get into it. God, we give you thanks just for the way that you're working in our lives and in our church. I'm just so encouraged by the text messages that I get to have with people about how you're getting their attention. 
God, I, I'm thankful for the ways that you refine us in hard conversations, uh, in easy ones, in moments of gentleness. God, I'm thankful for how nothing is wasted, and so even our experiences of pain and suffering are used by you to, to build us into your kingdom. So, God, help us uh, as we look at this text. We trust that wherever the nature of the Lord is spoken of, there he is present. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John's gospel is unique because it is explicitly and excitedly Trinitarian. So as the people of Jesus, actually, if you look at that window, that triangle is all about that. As the people of Jesus, we confess one God who eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And while the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are kind of happy to report that Jesus is the Son of God, in John's gospel, we meet a Jesus who wants to help us understand the very nature of the divine life of God, a community of love and unity shared by Father, Son, and Spirit that could not be contained and so had to spill out and over into creation to invite men and women and sons and daughters back into this divine Trinitarian life. Kyle just got back from seminary, so he has to just kind of get this out of his system. But I think it's, it's really meaningful because every part of our faith is ultimately built on this threeness and this oneness, that, that God is three and one and invites us into that community. So Jesus says, I and the Father were one. That's in John 8. Jesus says, the son can do nothing by himself. He sees only what he sees the father, excuse me, he does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Listen, Jesus reveals to us in John's gospel, this intimate, intricate, uh, undisconnectable relationship that he has with the father. And then peels back the divine life and invites us to live into that. Listen, the relationship shared by the Father and the Son is the relationship Jesus opens the door for us to share with the Father. It's as if Jesus steps kind of half into out of his little part of the triangle and wants to half cheek it with you. He wants to share that relationship that he has with the Father with you. He talks about an intimate, powerful, loving connection that he has with the Father. And in John 15, we see Jesus kind of unpacking that. We see Jesus unpacking this relationship he shares with the Father and inviting us into it. And he says this in John 15. He says, I am the true grapevine and my Father is the gardener. Let me read the whole thing. He says, he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit unless it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yeah, I'm the vine, and you're the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing." Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you will ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Verse seven and verses like it are the reason why people just wish, like me, wish that wasn't in the Bible because I don't know what that means. Verse eight, you will, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. It brings great glory to my father, Jesus kind of conjures up this image of vine and vineyard, which would have been very familiar to any of us who like to go to wineries, uh, would be very familiar to any of us that have driven along Lake Erie and see these vines growing up, very familiar to the disciples 
where vineyards were just a common way to have income in the classical world. And Jesus says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. And he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Jesus kind of points out this relationship where he says, when you remain connected to me, my connection with the father is shared with you. You enter into that. And Jesus makes a remarkable claim because he says he is the true grapevine which implies that there is such a thing as a false grapevine. and implies that there is such a thing as a dead and lifeless branch. It implies that you and I, you and I discover something in this text that we've always suspected to be true, but now here said. It's that we're always trying to attach ourselves to that which cannot give us life. It might be as simply described as that song, looking for love in all the wrong places. Or maybe if you remember the 2009 movie Avatar, you remember the aliens on that planet, their tails could connect with other animals and with each other. It's like we're those aliens on the planet Pandora. We walk around kind of with this open connection and we keep trying to connect it to things that we think will give us life. So we connect to our past either in pride or in shame. We connect to our money, our sexuality, our power, we, we connect with, with our talents. We connect with the, right, the wrong guy or the wrong girl. We connect with our anxiety, our failure. And over and over again, we find that these connections that we keep trying to make with these vines, that the vines we're trying to connect to are no more real than the vines I could buy you at Hobby Lobby. They're made of paper and plastic and wire and they can't bear the weight of our souls. Augustine said it best when he said, our hearts are restless. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in the, he preceded that with, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. We have this problem. We keep trying to connect to things that which cannot give us life. And yet Jesus presents himself as the true vine. The true vine that when we connect to it, gives us what Jesus calls in John, life and life abundant. Jesus in John 15 is trying to show us the way to a life-giving, vibrant, nourishing, both now and in eternity, relationship with the Father. And he invites us to be connected to him, connected to the Father, With these simple words, he says, remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Evidently, Jesus desires us to be fruitful. We'll talk about why. He says, I'm the vine, and you're the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. What can you do apart from the true vine? Nothing. Anything that you do do apart from the vine is ultimately nothing. All our righteous deeds are as filthy rags. I mean, nothing is the sphere of our influence apart from the vine. Jesus uses this word remain, which could be translated as abide or possibly even make your home in or make yourself at home in. Think about that. Think about the preposition in. Not abide nearby, not abide five minutes away, not abide a phone call away. Abide in me, remain in me, and I will remain in you. It's as if Jesus is saying, I want a closeness that you can feel my breath on the back of your neck. 
Over the past few weeks, I just keep having this same conversation over and over again, and it's people who are Christian explicitly, people who are raised in the church, have been in the church for a long time, people who are spiritual and kind of just out there looking to plug into whatever, and they, and they keep finding that they're coming up empty. They keep finding that there's nothing there. They keep finding that they have the forms of godliness, but none of its power. They're doing these religious Christian things. They're doing these religious spiritual things, and it's not there. It's like Jesus is in the house, but never in the same room. Or it's like we have friends, their daughter Anna, when they came and visited, Anna was just little at the time, and Anna always wanted to be nearby, but never in front of you or the center of attention. So she would always be like right here. Like you could always kind of like see her out of the corner of your eye which meant I stepped on her a couple times. But it's like Jesus is right here, that the God stuff is kind of all around us, and yet we've never really gotten it to the center. And, and the problem with this, the problem with this form of godliness, but none of its power is this. We have people whose marriages are falling apart. They are literally at the end of their own ability to stay married, and they need something more. They are at the end of their own ability to bear up under the weight of sickness and their bodies kind of aching and doing what it's not supposed to do. We have people who are trapped in this financial kind of cycle where they spend more than they should, have more debt than they should, and they keep going down and down and more and deeper into the red. They don't know how to get out of it. We have parents that are just caught at the end of their rope. They don't know how to get their kids any further than they are now. We have couples that are just stuck in these patterns. We have friends that we just keep getting in these broken relationships behind us. We have, we, we, we have this thing where we're finding out the adulting of our lives that we were promised is a lot harder and more boring and headed in a direction that doesn't get all that much more fun. And so we're st stuck on the cycle of discontentment because we got the degree and we got the spouse and we got the house and we got the this and we got the that and we're still not happy and the goalpost keeps moving. We're at the end and presenting people with the Jesus, us walking with Jesus at a distance, at arm's length, walking with Jesus at any other closeness than remain in me and I will remain in you is the form of godliness with none of its power. And so these people with these marriages and all of these kinds of things have been doing the God stuff for years, decades, some of them, and it's just empty. It's hollow. None of it bears the weight of the soul. And so they begin to walk away because this God stuff was never really real. Guys, we've got to stop talking about God like he's not in the room. We've got to stop keeping him at an arm's length. Jesus presents to us a witness, a closeness that we cannot substitute anything for, even though it's so very easy to do so. We have to insist on witness with Jesus. In John 15, Jesus is setting a new agenda, a new standard. The new standard for his people is not, I go to church and I do Christian activities. Those things might feed into our witness. No, the new standard is, do you love me? Do you love Jesus? Are you with him? I was listening to an interview by a guy named John Mark Cummer this week. He just wrote a book called God Has a Name. And in it, he makes the point that we should never call God, God because God is his title, not his name. He says in Exodus chapter 34, we preach this, when the Lord reveals himself to Moses, he says the first words are Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, full of compassion and unfailing love. I mean, he does not introduce himself as Mr. So-and-so. 
I do not call my wife Mrs. Tennant, unless I'm trying to be flirty. <laughs> I call her by her name. See, in the face of Jesus, God has given us the exact imprint of his nature, the visible form of the invisible God. We do not call on the name of God. We call on the name of Jesus, and Jesus clears all this away and says, I want you to remain in me, and I want to remain in you in such a vibrant, intimate, life-giving way that shares my relationship with the Father that can truly bear the weight of your soul. Because listen to me, the only thing that helps us sustain under suffering is a, is a mutual abiding. Not going to church and singing the songs, that don't do it. That don't get us through the hard moments. That doesn't get us to the end of where we're trying to go. The only thing that does is, and the only ticket worth buying, guys, is remain in me and I in you. The new agenda for us as a church is simply this. Are we abiding personally with Jesus and bearing fruit? Are we personally abiding with Jesus and bearing fruit? Let me explain what those are in a minute, but let me first connect this. All of this, is a, this whole text is about the secret action of the Holy Spirit. John 15, it's about the secret action of the Holy Spirit. Because in 14, Jesus introduces the Spirit and says, this is the, who you're, I'm going to send you. And in 16, John 16, Jesus says, here's a couple of bullet points on the Holy Spirit's job description. And in the middle of that, in the middle of that, Jesus tells this story about I am the vine and you are the branches. And I can almost imagine John, as he was under the inspiration of the Spirit, writing his gospel, and he's recording this upper room discourse about and I imagine John was left-handed because I was too and all the best people are. And, and so John's writing this gospel and uh, especially holy with the left hand and uh, don't believe what you were taught in Catholic school. And, um, and he's writing this gospel under the inspiration of the Spirit and he's explaining to us who the Holy Spirit is and it's almost like the Holy Spirit starts to cringe because he's getting too much attention. So he says, let's talk about Jesus again for a minute in John 15. Okay, that's enough, Jesus. Now we can go back to 16. See, here's the deal. The Holy Spirit is not under any desire to be in the spotlight because he himself is the spotlight that glorifies Jesus. And the reason I bring this up is because the, the miracle of this text that the Holy Spirit activates is the primary miracle all of us are experiencing right now. Last week we had this panel discussion, if you were here, on the power of the Holy Spirit. And a couple of people with the gift of shepherding in our community were like, time out. Because first of all, we got to remember why we're doing this. And the second thing is, in somebody's words, where we don't want anybody chasing after fire. And then the other follow-up was, or running away. We don't seek experiences. We seek the face of Jesus. And that is where the spotlight swings in John 15. The Spirit himself swings the spotlight back onto Jesus. We don't seek a miraculous experience because we are already having, in this moment, a miraculous experience. We are already in the midst of a miraculous experience right now, and that miraculous experience is that the Spirit who dwells in you fully from the very moment that you said yes to Jesus is the same Spirit who is united to the Father and the Son, who proceedeth, according to the creeds, from the Father and the Son to us. And so in his indwelling of us, I am vitally, intimately, and irrevocably connected to the life of God, to the life of the Trinity. See, I said God again, I shouldn't do that. But, but, but here's the deal. That's the miracle. We don't need to see she knows. We don't need to seek anything more. We don't need to, and, and listen, any miracle that upstages Jesus in your life is not a miracle at all. It is a distraction. Any miracle that upstages Jesus in your life 
This is why Paul says, if I have the gift of tongues and angels but not love, I am a clashing gong and a clanging cymbal because it upstages Jesus. John 15 is a text where the Holy Spirit is reminding us that he is the one who activates this remaining life. You know, plants, I don't, there's a science word for this. You know, the plant blood that runs in, the, in, in them, glucose, some, I don't know. It's liquidy when you break it, right? That is the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is the lifeblood and, and the nutrients that kind of connect us on the vine to the Father. I mean, all of this happens with him. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because we, we kind of got in deep last week. And I put something on Facebook, but I, I did want to reiterate that the miracle that we're seeking is the miracle that we're all experiencing right now. And the first miracle we want anybody to experience in their life is this life-giving connection to Jesus. That's not trying, that all these people in our lives, all of our friends that are trying to attach to vines that can't bear the weight of their souls, that they would just find what it is to abide freely in Jesus. That's, that's, that's what's happening in this text. It's all by the activation and power of the Spirit, John 15, which is why Jesus then seamlessly kind of goes back into more talk about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16. It's all connected. Now, we want to abide, but many of us choose not to abide because it comes with a cost and with a purpose that we're not all that interested in. You see, it comes at a cost. Abiding comes with a cost because Jesus says, says this. He cuts out, let me find which verse this is because this is important. Look at this. I can lean on this table. Isn't that nice? Verse two, he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do not bear fruit so they will produce even more. I don't know if you've ever pruned something. For those of us who like to bite our nails, it's a really exciting experience because it's like a socially acceptable form of that, right? Like nobody's like, ew, you're pruning. I love it. It's like it's so cathartic for me. And, uh, and uh, we, have this, we have this bush in kind of our front yard that was growing 18 different directions. And my aunt was over and she knows how to hack this stuff back. So we were out there doing it and we've got this other one. And I could just tell like the look in her eye because she likes to prune stuff too. She's actually killed a few things because she's gone too far. And we have this branch that has not had a clipper near it since like Jesus wore short pants. And it's almost like I could see like the drool coming out of her mouth that she was, but she was like, it's flowering, so we probably shouldn't. See, pruning, what, what that does is we cut it back. Why? So that it'll grow better and more. Pruning happens, the more we abide with Jesus, the more likely he is to remove that which does not aid our growth. And we often mistake pruning for this random swipe of God, because most often when God prunes us, he will prune relationships, he will prune influence, and he will prune pleasure. He will prune pleasures that we should not have. He will prune influence that is evoking in us something not good, and he will prune relationships that do not call out the best in us. And a lot of times when we're pruned, we don't like that because tell you what, pruning hurts. Sometimes, even often, pruning hurts. And so there's truth to that thing that that person in your life who just broke up shared on Facebook. Like, some people need to be out of our lives so they can be better. You know when somebody shares that on Facebook, you're like, oh, somebody just broke up with somebody. You know what I mean? Cue like 30 days of all of this. Like, I'm strong, right? I don't need them. And uh, some relationships we go questing after, we really shouldn't. God is trying to prune them out of us. There's influence that we may have in an organization or a family or, or something we find we don't have it anymore. People don't listen to our voice anymore because God's pruning that. 
sometimes the things that we found pleasurable, God begins to prune away. This is why, this is the dirty little secret to abiding. This is why it's easier to kind of just go to church and do the Christian thing. Because we can kind of just hear the nice words and sing the nice songs and, you know, throw a tip in the bucket and kind of move on. But abiding, being a disciple of Jesus, comes at a cost because I'm going to have to lose something. But in the words of Jim Elliott, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot earn, to keep what he cannot lose. See, it comes with a cost, but it also comes with a purpose. Pruning happens. Pruning happens and abiding with Jesus happens so that we can bear fruit. The word fruit is like all over in this. Uh, verse two, that he, he cuts off every branch that doesn't produce fruit. He prunes the branches that do bear fruit. Um, it keeps going. I'm the vine. Those who remain in me will produce much fruit. That's verse five. Um, verse eight, when you produce much fruit, you're my true disciples. I mean, even down in that next paragraph, which we didn't really hit, in verse 16, Jesus says, you didn't choose last, choose me, I chose you and appointed you to go and produce, produce lasting fruit. Not just fruit of any kind, lasting fruit. I'm not talking about like gummy bear fruit with corn syrups that'll last 30,000 years. I'm talking about eternal fruit. And the fruit that Jesus has in mind, the two kind of fruits that we experience in our life. One is the fruit of the Spirit. And, and you maybe heard Ken say that in passing last week. And if you're unfamiliar with Scripture, this is important, that the Spirit's work in our lives is to produce fruit in our character. So he says, Paul says in Galatians 5, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the, out, the fruit of the result of the Spirit working in your life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Spiritual gifts, I love that. Spiritual gifts, more babies, Jesus. The, 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 the spiritual gifts without the fruit of the Spirit are really a waste of time. They're really an exercise in self-aggrandizement. They, again, upstage. The primary work of the Spirit in your life is really to produce fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And if you were really honest with yourself, those like eight or ten things are the things you need most in your life. That's the miracle you need more than like a word from the Lord. You need patience not to kill someone at work. You need self-control to stop eating the donuts at Nova Coffee Company, right? That's really what we need. But, but there's, so there's this fruit related to our character, but then there's also, he says this lasting fruit. I appointed you to go in and bear fruit. This other kind of fruit has to generally do with people or disciples made. The fruit that lasts is the fruit that is born in people's lives that we're part of mobilizing and, and, and sending for the gospel. The fruit of Paul's labor in the New Testament was churches and lives transformed. The fruit that Jesus has in mind for you is that you would be part of directly mobilizing, that you'd be directly part of mobilizing someone for Jesus. One of our measurables that we're building as a staff, some core values, and one of them is, um, who are you a part of directly mobilizing and transforming for Jesus? Not, the core value isn't, who is the staff directly mobilizing and transforming for Jesus? The, it says, who are you personally, hands-on, transforming and mobilizing for Jesus? That's what it means to bear fruit. That's what it means to bear fruit that you've got your hands on somebody's lives and in somebody's life and walking with them as they transform Here's the dirty secret. 
I've been a Christian since I was like five. I didn't make a disciple, I don't think, really until I was like 27. Because what we're really good at as churches is doing is just creating products for you to consume. Right? We're a delivery culture. We deliver a spiritual product like a sermon and things and a Bible study. You go and you consume those things and you move on. We, we have an obesity problem in the American church. We are obese with Christian resources and knowledge. We all need to go to spiritual fat camp. And so we're doing a series this fall about giving you tools to equip people. If you want to make disciples, the next time like a conversation turns vaguely spiritual when you're at the bank or over dinner with somebody, simply ask this question. This is the silver bullet. Are you ready? How is God getting your attention? First of all, anybody can talk about God. We as a community lean into Jesus language, but anybody can talk about God. I mean, goodness gracious, I tell people I'm a pastor once getting a bank, a bank account, and this woman goes into telling me this whole story about how her mom had died, um, and the whole family after the funeral had a fire, and they were taking pictures, and then they got the picture developed, and there was mom in the smoke at the fire. I know, I know. And like there was mom, we could see her reflection in the, in the glass door. Okay, she showed us the pictures. I don't really, it mostly looked like smoke to me. I don't know. And like, maybe like the window just needed some Windex. But man, she's there. Like she's, she's open to spiritual things. Here's what I should have asked. How's God getting your attention with that? Anybody can answer that question. And first of all, it teaches them that God is trying to get their attention. It shows them that there's a God out there who's kind of actively kind of trying to be like, yo, hey, over here, right? Second thing is, well, I don't really know how God's trying to get my attention, I guess. I don't know. This is the question we ask as a staff every time we get together. I was in the middle of a conflict conversation a couple of weeks ago. Somebody called me and said, hey, this person, da, 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 and I'm talking to them, and I said, so how's God getting your attention through this? Ooh, how's God getting your attention through your anger? Asking that question is like, 80% of the work of getting discipleship made because the Holy Spirit makes disciples. Jesus makes disciples. We just kind of get to show up. But ask people, um, how's God getting your attention? We're going to do, so let me, let me tell you this. Where do we go from here? This is kind of an agenda-setting sermon slash put out any unnecessary Holy Spirit fires, right? <clears throat> so Jesus demonstrates to us a life of abiding with his Father in what way? Not singing worship music, not Bible study, but prayer. Why could it not be Bible study, Jesus? It's so much more controllable. I suck at prayer. I know very few people that are very good at that. And the problem with that is we're supposed to step into Jesus' relationship with the Father, right? And Jesus' relationship with the Father was pursued through prayer. Jesus would withdraw and talk to his dad. And if I were to poll you, and in fact, a survey will go out on the Facebook page this week about your prayer habits that'll help inform me in this. I mean, I pray for like 90 seconds and I'm like, we're good, right? I mean, all right, see ya. You know, I, I uh, listen, I'm just being where I'm at. I, I, I'm, I can really connect with God through Bible study. Get me in prayer and I, I have a hard time. The goal of this series, by the way, then, is to teach us to abide with Jesus in prayer. Remain in Jesus with prayer. And if at the end of the seven weeks, you're not praying more or better or more effectively or you don't feel like you've moved down the field. Guys, I'm pretty sure we're just gonna keep, I think I'm kind of half serious when I say this, that we might just keep preaching on prayer. 
until we can kind of, we're just going to teach our way through it. I've got plans from like now till January. They can wait. You know, I mean, it's about abiding with Jesus. It's about, and if you, if you want a prayer to pray this week, man, like just look up the Lord's prayer and start praying that line by line. And think about our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Okay, I've got a God. He's in heaven. He's my Father. He wants his name to be hallowed. No, hallowed means made special. Okay, how am I going to make him special in my life today? All right, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Man, how am I living in an expectation that heaven's going to come? I mean, start talking, talking with God, not to God, with God. That's, that's the force of that series. And then after that, okay, well, now we've, now we've learned how to abide. How do we bear much? Yeah, how, do we, how have we learned to abide in that seven-week series on prayer for the rest of our lives? <laughs> Guys, we're like still back in preschool. Do you know what I mean? Like, come on. How do I, how do I make disciples? We're going to do a series called Love the 330. What's the 330? Is that a Bible verse? No, it's your area code. I'm sorry, weird 234 people, but you're not included. What is, <laughs> what is, yeah, you just can't come to church those three weeks, you know, go, you got to go make disciples in that area code. I don't even know where that is. I think they made it up. Love the 330, which will be just super practical about serving others, about seeing who people of peace are and kind of coming alongside. I'm excited about that. Jesus is inviting us to abide with him and in him to move Jesus from like the other room of the house to be in the room with us. And sometimes we need help doing that. Maybe before you go to bed every night, if you're married, you turn to your spouse and you say, how'd God get your attention today? If you're not married, you text your best friend. Or maybe you're married and you'd want to text your best friend and not your husband, that's cool too. Don't want to touch my hand. How's God getting your attention when we start to see what God's doing, we start to kind of live into those rhythms with him. That's what it means to abide. Guys, I, I just keep finding that, gosh, like on the one hand, um, this is not a clean, this is, this is a sermon conclusion that I would not get a good grade for. Um, on the one hand, it's supposed to be clean and neat and land the plane. How do you land the plane with Jesus? I mean, how do you just like, all right, tie it up in a bow and we'll see you next week. You can't. It's, the conversation kind of keeps going, Right? I love pastoring you guys because it's just, I feel like we're just kind of engaged in this conversation from week to week about God really got my attention through that and that's shaping kind of, somebody says, hey, I think God's telling us we need to, okay, well, we're going to keep, it's just super conversational, but here's what I'd say. Guys, God is trying to get our attention and we way overcomplicate this stuff. We way overcomplicate it. I'm a theologian. I like to read that stuff. I get it. But I'm even talking about like, what if it's just as simple as kind of just asking, hey, Jesus, like, what does it look like to abide with you right now? I guarantee you that the Holy Spirit's miracle in that moment will be to show you. Because what it means for Jesus that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, this thing that he kept saying is that like these two realms have kind of not just gotten real close to each other, but kind of overlapped. And there's these moments in our lives, in prayer especially, when we, it's almost like we could reach our hand in and there's the kingdom. And the crazy thing is, is we can grab some of that and pull it back in with us on heaven as it is in, on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to have a conversation with you that um, we, we want to walk with you. We want to remain and abide in you. And so Jesus, 
In fact, church, would you just kind of ask Jesus right now, what does it look like to abide with you today? Just ask him that, would you? Jesus, how are you wanting to abide with me today? This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've been writing a paper <clears throat> all weekend. It was due like four weeks ago. Hashtag timely. On Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. The minor prophet, don't know anything about the minor prophets. The prophet Zechariah is given a vision of Joshua, the high priest in Israel at that time. And Joshua's garments are filthy and dirty. His priestly garments are dirty. And the text says, I saw, and the, the accuser, Hasatan, the Satan, stood next to him to accuse him. And the Lord said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. And Satan goes running. And the Lord looks at Joshua's filthy garments and removes them and gives Joshua the priest what the English translation says is pure white garments, brand new ones. This Hebrew word is only used once in the whole Old Testament. It means like the finest of fine white garments. And the Lord declares, as Joshua changes his clothes, your iniquity has been removed from you. Your havon, your sin has been taken away. The reason I bring that up is because a lot of us kind of get to this point where we're like, I am not living like I could be to be and should be and ought to be in order to abide with Jesus. My garments are filthy this week. This is why we come back to this meal over and over again because it assures us of our forgiveness. It assures us this broken bread, this cup assures us that our Sins were as scarlet, but they could be made as white as snow. That God delights in taking our filthy rags and giving us the purest of white. Later on in the New Testament, Jesus would say we have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Guys, I don't know if your garments feel filthy this week. Maybe you just feel tired. And maybe this invitation to abide with Jesus just sounds harder than it is. Maybe it just feels like more work. Um, May you find the presence of Jesus at this meal an encouragement, a comfort, a meal even with a friend. Um, Vanessa and Aaron, would you guys come help me? Dan Collins, come here for a sec. Yeah. We pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and cup, that they might become to us the body and blood of Christ, that in the eating of them and drinking of them,
we might become the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. Pour out your spirit on those gathered here and remind us that on the night when you took this meal, you offered it to us in the name of forgiveness, not of wrath, that you stand nearby with fresh clothes always. Abide with us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The table is open. Would you come?
friends, may you abide with Jesus, and may you find that when you say, Jesus, what does it look like to abide with you? May you find he has an answer. I love you. We'll see you next week. We're starting our new series, Talking with God. We'll see you.